from February 2nd until the second Sunday in July, we were preaching through a series based on the book called The Story. And the story is an amazing book because it puts the whole Bible in chronological order. And the reason that we stopped when we did was because we had come to the end of the Old Testament section. And we thought, okay, summer is a little slower time. It's a good chance for us to break and then begin with the, the New Testament, or chapter 22, as we are here this morning. So we spent 21 weeks looking throughout the whole New Testament. And we followed this journey of the Jewish people for centuries. But there was one consistent theme throughout all of that. And it was the fact that it was pointing toward the coming of a Messiah. The coming of a Savior. So God has done everything that he possibly can in order to have a relationship with his people. He has blessed them. When they made mistakes, he came along and he cleaned up their messes. He forgave them. He sent prophets who came along to help them and to warn them. But they didn't listen, and they never learned anything. So then there was this stretch of silence, which lasted for 400 years. And Jim Midget actually spoke about that time period last week. And it was during that 400 years that God was preparing the world for the coming of his son and our Savior. So it was a lot to do with the geography, it was a lot to do with who was in power at the time, but it was also preparing the hearts of the people. And then after 400 years, we see that he sends his son. So today, we're going to celebrate the moment upon which all of history hinges, and that is the birth of Jesus Christ. And there's no snow on the ground, and we don't have fancy lights up here. We're going to sing one Christmas carol, just to kind of get in the mood a little bit. But we didn't do that. But we're here today to celebrate that Christmas story. And the Christmas story is all about God delivering on His promises. Now remember that storyline that I just mentioned. Weaved throughout the entire story is the, God's desire to save people. It's to reconcile them. It's to bring them back to Him. So the Christmas story is all about that promise, that desire being fulfilled. Now in spite of all the preparation that we're going to see, when Jesus arrives, there were still a lot of people who missed out on the fact that He was the Messiah. That even though He was predicted, He was promised, He was prophesied, so many people just didn't seem to understand that, and they missed the cues, and there was a case of mistaken identity. When Jesus finally did come, they didn't believe that he was the Christ, the, the Messiah, the Anointed One. They wouldn't accept him. A few years ago, my brother took me golfing to the beautiful Dunderade Golf Course. Don't worry, this isn't another message on golf like two weeks ago. But he took me golfing to this beautiful golf course. It's part of the Brutonelle River Resort in Cardigan, PEI. And it was really busy that day, so we had to join up with a young couple from Toronto. And their names were Ryan and Carrie. And I thought it was so sweet that so early on in their marriage, they had found a common area of recreation. They were golfing together. So it, it was slow that day because of the crowd, and each time when we would come to a tee to begin the hole, we always had to wait.
in front of us, and then we would hit. But there was a group behind us, it was two couples, and as soon as we were maybe to the back row of chairs from that tee, these, the men would just kind of charge right up, club in hand, ready to hit the ball. Then they were saying to us, you're slowing us down. Like, why don't you let us play through? Now, I don't normally get frustrated with people, but I was getting frustrated with those guys, and it was affecting my game. So on number 11, I said to my brother and the other couple, please, we've got to just let them go through. So we did that. They teed off number 12, and just as they were getting to with the back row of chairs, I rushed up to the tee, club in the hand, and Carrie asked my brother, what's he doing? And he goes, he's making a statement. He's a little intense when it comes to sports. And, and then I yelled back to my brother and said, don't tell them what I do for a living, because I hadn't revealed it at that point. So you know, he told them right away. And then she goes, is that right? I thought he was a funeral director. <laughs> I don't know where she got that, but being nice, I guess. The friendly demeanor. And then my brother said she told him that they thought that he was Rick Vive, a former Toronto Maple Leaf hockey player who actually was from PEI. And a couple things going right, same age, and same thing going on with their hair. Their ears both stick out a little bit, so they have their hair just covering the top of their ears to take care of that. But I was the one with the muscular arms. I was in shape. I was carrying my clubs. Why wasn't I Rick Five and not the funeral director? So for those of you that know golf, I went one under the normal par the rest of that round. I was so pumped up or something about it. It was terrific golf from there on. But we had two cases of mistaken identity taking place there. And cases of mistaken identity happen more than we think. And it happened with the Messiah, our hero, who's now on the scene. But Jesus arrives on the scene, and the people that are going to be skeptical that a man born of peasant parents could actually be the King of Kings, that it could be the Lord of Lords. There's just no way that Joseph and Mary's son could be that individual. And even the people in his own hometown refused to follow him. And remember one time they tried to throw him off a cliff because they were claiming blasphemy. He was saying that he was the Son of God. And as we read through the Christmas story in the Bible, we see some very interesting things. The, the book of Matthew was written to a Jewish audience. So that whole book is full of prophecy because Matthew wants to point out the Old Testament scriptures, which they are familiar with, and then he points out how Jesus was the fulfillment of all of those. So look at Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. This is the family history, the genealogy of Jesus the Anointed, the coming King. You will see in this history that Jesus is descended from King David, and that he is also descended from Abraham. And then he goes on to give the entire lineage of Christ, and that was very important to the Jewish people. They needed to know that. And then Mark, that book, doesn't say anything at all about the birth of Jesus. It just picks up at the beginning of his ministry. But then the book of Luke, which was written to a Greek audience, and the Greeks, they were ones who wanted facts. 
They wanted documentation. So in Luke chapter 1, verse 3, we read, With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. So they wanted to hear the very facts that he presented. So he went on to give snapshots, very clear snapshots of Jesus' birth, like where it was, who was there, when it happened. He gave a very orderly account. Now the book of John, that identifies looking at the birth of Jesus basically from a 30,000 foot view. In John chapter 1, we see it, it's almost in poetic fashion. In the beginning was the one who was called the Word. The Word was with God and was truly God. From the very beginning, the Word was with God. Now remember back in the book of Genesis how it reads, In the beginning God created. So what we have here, that John wants us to know something. He wants us to know that Jesus didn't begin in that stable on the outskirts of Bethlehem. Jesus has always existed as the Son of God or as the Word of God. In John chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, we'll see that Jesus is as eternal as God the Father is eternal and as the Holy Spirit is eternal. And with this Word, God created all things. Nothing was made without the Word. Everything that was created received its life from Him, and His life gave light to everyone. So Jesus is described by the Word, Word, because He is the total fulfillment of God's Word. And I know you're familiar with this account in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. This is how Jesus Christ was born. A young woman named Mary was engaged to Joseph from King David's family, but before they were married, she learned that she was going to have a baby by God's Holy Spirit. Joseph was a good man and did not want to embarrass Mary in front of everyone, so he decided to quietly call off the wedding. While Joseph was thinking about this, an angel from the Lord came to him in a dream. The angel said, Joseph, the baby that Mary will have is from the Holy Spirit. Go ahead and marry her. Then, after her baby is born, name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. So the Lord's promise came true, just as the prophet had said. A virgin will have a baby boy, and he will be called Emmanuel, which means God is with us. After Joseph woke up, he and Mary were soon married, just as the Lord's angel had told him to. But they did not sleep together before her baby was born. Then Joseph named him Jesus. You need to know three different things about this. There are three different areas that we need to look at. And one of them is that God uses people. He always uses people to do his will. But Mary and Joseph are a part of this story. He always uses people. He uses families. He uses individuals. We've looked at the lives of people like Abraham and David and, and also someone like Queen Esther. God can choose to do whatever he wants to, but every time he does, he chooses to do it through someone. He chooses to do it through people.
So as we study through the Old Testament, we over and over again see that God is at work fulfilling that plan. And he uses people in spite of the many flaws that we have. And in that Christmas story, we see him using a young virgin girl and a young man who's just a simple carpenter. Like they have a peasant offering that they give at the temple. That's who he uses. And they become heroes of the faith. But now we come to the point in the story where our hero is born. And I want to remind you of something that I said back in February when we began this series. That the Bible can actually be summed up in three phrases. The whole Old Testament can actually be summed up in Jesus is coming. That's all we need to say. That summarizes the whole Old Testament. Then the first four books of the New Testament, we call them the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Mark Luke, and John. They tell us Jesus is here. And then the rest of the New Testament, from the book of Acts on to the book of Revelation, are basically telling us that Jesus is coming again, and we ought to be prepared for that. And don't you love this verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 15? Praise God for this incredible, unbelievable, indescribable gift. Like that's the plan that God had. But it all began with the birth of that little baby boy. And on that night on the outskirts of Bethlehem, God made his way into our world. The voice that spoke the universe into existence, the voice that thundered on Mount Sinai, the same voice that just kind of whispered to Elijah, could now do nothing else but kind of goo and poo and gurgle like little babies do. God had come into this world. The Word had become a human being and lived here with us. And He was placed in the feeding trough. God uses people. Then we note that God also has a plan. And His plan is to give us a gift in person. And that decision was to bring his son into this world, to offer us the gift of salvation in person. And he will save his people from their sins. Surely, but no one could miss that. No one could not identify Jesus as the Messiah. He'll be a savior that no one can miss. But when God came up with that plan, remember, he wasn't doing this for himself. He wasn't kind of born up there in heaven, so he needed to do something to fill his time. He was doing this for us. He had a specific purpose. His gift was to bring his son into this world, to come and live among us, and then to die for us, and to offer us the forgiveness of sins. So God had a plan to send his son, and that plan was in the works even before the creation of the world. But his gift comes with a price. And Jesus was born as a defenseless baby. He grew to be a perfect human being. He died as a sinless sacrifice for us. But that gift ended up being what offered us salvation. What paid the penalty for our sins. So I just love that verse I read a few moments ago. God's plan and God's gift 
are incredible. They are unbelievable. They're indescribable. But God willingly gives that most generous gift that many people would, even though he knew many people would reject it, even though he knew many people would misunderstand it, even though he knew that those people would not want to give anything back to him in return. But there's a third area, and that's that God keeps his promises. And back in the book of Genesis, he promised that the seed of this woman, the seed of Eve, would crush the head of the serpent, of Satan. So one day, a descendant of Eve would figuratively crush the head of a descendant of Satan. And he would change the world. He would be a blessing to the world. God also promised Abraham that a man would come who would show the people of the world how to live and that he would be a savior. But before the historic events that provided the basis for the gospel message unfolded, God promised the good news through the prophets. And notice what the Bible says in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 9. That we have a fuller confirmation of the message of the prophets. So the Old Testament prophecy, those are predictions that godly people made that would come true. And they were oftentimes a prophecy that would happen in the near future. When people saw that come true, then they would trust that the prophecy that these individuals made that would come true hundreds of years down the road could be trusted. And look at, at, at some of the outlandish predictions. Like there were over 300 Messianic prophecies that were made, that were there to validate the story that Jesus was the Son of God. Sixty of them are considered major ones. Over 250 are considered to be minor prophecies. And we discover Jesus to be the fulfillment of every single one of them. Some people believe that the 400 years of silence where there was no word from God was an opportunity for the distance to be made between the last prophecies of the coming Messiah. Just to let that sit and let people think and wait and wait and yearn some more. It would be just like someone making a prediction back in 1614 and then there would be 400 years of silence and that exact prediction would come true here today in 2014. So Jesus looks like the Messiah. And here are the predictions. And they're so far out some of them. Micah chapter 5 verse 2. Bethlehem, Ephraim, you are one of the smallest towns in the nation of Judah. But the Lord will choose one of your prophets, one of your people, to rule the nation, someone whose family goes back to ancient times. So the Messiah is going to be born in Bethlehem, this little town that never actually averaged more than a thousand people. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, But the Lord will give you proof. The virgin is pregnant. She will have a son and will call him Emmanuel. Now this is over 700 years before Joseph and Mary come on the scene. And yet Isaiah predicts and prophesies a virgin birth. Matthew 1 is the fulfillment of that when he said, All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the 
And then further along in Isaiah chapter 53, verse 5. But he was hurt because of us. He suffered so. Our wrongdoing wounded and crushed him. He endured the breaking that made us whole. The injuries he suffered because the injuries he suffered became our healing. And that's 700 years before Jesus' arrest. Yet Isaiah is able to make that prediction. And then what about the betrayal of Judas? Like way back in Zechariah, 400 years before Jesus was born, it talks about 30 pieces of silver being paid as a ransom. And then how about Jesus' death on the cross? Like we know that he died by crucifixion. And that type of execution was still a thousand years down the road. Yet, here they were predicting it at this time. But it wasn't even used in Rome until 200 B.C., halfway through those 400 silent years. And it wasn't used in a Jewish, excuse me, wasn't used in a Jewish country or province until 63 B.C. But in spite of all of this, the, the psalmist writes about that years before the crucifixion. In Psalm 22, verse 16, A throng of evil ones has surrounded me like a pack of wild dogs. They pierced my hands and ripped a hole in my feet. I, I count all my bones. People gawk and stare at me. They make a game out of dividing my clothes among themselves. They cast lots for the clothes on my back. When I was at Maritime Christian College in Charlottetown, one of the full semester courses I took was Messianic Prophecies. So I could keep you here all afternoon going through all of those prophecies. But we have another service coming up. But it's just amazing to see how all of them came true in Jesus. Now there was a man by the name of Peter Stoner, and he was a mathematician. And he decided that he was going to do a study of compound probability. And his study question was the answer to this. What if Jesus just fulfilled eight of the over 300 prophecies? So he took the likelihood of Jesus fulfilling just eight of those. And he did the mathematical probability of all of that. So for example, like what are the odds of someone being born and actually being born in the village of Bethlehem? So what were the odds in that? Was it 1 in 10,000 or, or 1 in 100,000? And he did that with eight different prophecies. And the odds that he came up with were that it was 1 to the power, excuse me, in 10 to the power of 17. So that was the possibility of Jesus coincidentally fulfilling all eight of those predictions. And that's just eight of the 300. Now, I can't explain what that number really means. It's just astronomical. It's all we know. I can't help my kids with math anymore. It's unreal what they do. But God is giving us a very clear roadmap to this Messiah. So you have to understand that most of the prophecies he fulfilled, he had no control over. That you and I didn't have any control over where we would be born. We had no control over what type of family we would be born into. He had no control 
over that either. And you might not keep promises. I might not keep promises. But we need to remember that Jesus keeps his promises. Every one that he made, he keeps. So he waits for the timing to be perfect. And in Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, when the right time arrived, God sent his son into this world, born of a woman, subject to the law, to free those who, just like him, were subject to the law. And ultimately, he wanted all, wanted us all, to be adopted as sons and daughters. So God's purpose has always been to send his son, not just to be the perfect sacrifice, but to actually be a perfect example for us. And while we've heard so much about him, and even with all the descriptions, like many people actually missed out on him. They didn't realize that he was going to come with a spiritual or eternal kingdom. But they were familiar with the fact that they thought he was going to come and establish a physical kingdom. And he was going to drive the Romans out. But he didn't do that. So many people mistook his identity and they missed the Messiah. And maybe you grew up with a preconceived notion of who Jesus was, and you were very sincere about it. And perhaps your mind was made up about who he is. Maybe you've always seen him as just an historical figure. Maybe you've seen him just as a good man, or maybe as a godly man. Maybe you've seen him as a great teacher. But it doesn't go any further than that. And if it doesn't, then you are sadly mistaken. You are involved in a mistaken identity. And my prayer is that you will study God's Word and that you will realize that Jesus wasn't just a good man. He wasn't just a prophet. He was and is the Savior of the world. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Now one of the first men to walk on the moon was former astronaut James Irwin. And you may not know the fact that he was a Christian. And for most of the rest of his life, every time he finished a letter, this is what he put at the bottom. He said, there is one thing better than man walking on the moon, and that is God walking on the earth. So he understood the story, that Jesus always keeps his promises. He always has, and he always will. Now, the first time that Jesus came to earth, he came as this tiny helpless baby. He came in love. He came to grow up and to die as a sacrifice for our sins. But the second time that he comes, he's not coming in love. The scriptures tell us that he's coming in power. He's going to come riding on the clouds and he's going to come for judgment. So we must make certain that we're ready. Would you bow with me please?